they have people who just have this sixth sense or muscle built throughout the years to know when one is ready to open up and get the pulp. And they don't like mature in the same way across the tree. So it's really manual selection of which ones are ripe to now open and work on it, which is very similar to startups as well, right? This is Female Business Angel Podcast. Your go-to destination if you're a business angel or would like to get into angel investing and don't know where to start. Or if you just want to find out how we tick. We're Tina and Katja, both business angels from Berlin. Well, I'm a VC now. We will interview established female business angels about how they got started and how it is going, including all the best tips and tricks. So get ready for some insider stories and personal empowering moments and revelations with these incredible women. Welcome to this journey with us. Hi, welcome to Female Business Angels podcast. We have a super cool guest today. Hola, Carmen. Hola. <laughs> Bienvenida a Berlin. Muchas gracias. Encantada. <laughs> super bien. We are really happy to have Carmen here. It's our first Spanish-speaking angel investor. Yeah. VC, yeah, VC turned angel investor. Living in London. And as always, we are at Scene Podcast Studio. Scene is a pre-seed fund. Here in Berlin, thank you, Sin, for having us. Yeah, thank you, Bloody. <laughs> thank you, Bloody. If you're listening, we know you're listening. <laughs> so yeah, Carmen's case is uh, fascinating because we had a couple of guests on this podcast who were angel investors and they evolved into VCs. So Carmen is the opposite. She is a VC turned angel investor. Previously, she was a partner at a famous Series A investor, Blossom Capital. I mean, it is the Series A investor in Europe, I'd say. She was also a very active angel with the fund.vc and uh, has a track record of over 20 angel investments. And super, super cool. Carmen was the first one, the first investor to believe in Hopin, the <laughs> virtual event platform. Is yes, that the right exactly. I'm, Yes, I'm using it. I don't and know. online events platform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we all know it, I guess, after two years of pandemic. <laughs> and she also helped them to bring in the lead for the seed round, which was Excel. So a super well-known investor as well. And uh, Carmen invests in businesses with a huge customer love. So they have to be love brands or love services, B2B and B2C, NPS, super important. And they have to be highly scalable and defensible. And also, Carmen is a great fun to be around with. <laughs> so, yeah, tell us more about yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I think, like, let's start by also noting how well you speak Spanish. Like, before we speak <laughs> about myself, that was one of my biggest surprises when uh, I first met gracias. you. <laughs> it's like that she can speak Spanish as well as I can. So, um, yeah, uh, super cool. Look, like, thank you so much for having me. Um, Thank you for the great intro. As you said, I'm a VC turned angel. Maybe I tell you a little bit about kind of my journey in investing and how I 
got from being a VC to an angel. I started investing around six years ago in a fund called Felix Capital that does a lot around uh, consumer and commerce enablers, both in Europe and the US. And I left that, uh, I left Felix to launch a Spanish fund in the UK. And it was a fund that was doing a lot of B2B and B2C marketplaces and network effects. So I continue with that theme of the power of the community, power of the brand, as you were saying. And Felix was later stage investor? So Felix initially was born as a Series A investor. <laughs> so not very uh, not very late. They've gone later and they've gone earlier as everybody else yeah. as well. So, That's the um, feeling. <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, basically, yes, I was. what's interesting maybe about this journey is it was highly thematic funds. Um, that took me to to where I am now. But while I was a partner in this um, Spanish fund, I actually made my first angel investment, which was Hopin. I was very lucky. I actually put together 100% of Hopin's pre-seed. So all the way from Sitcom that led that pre-seed to my family, every single investor I brought along. But wow, why... so you were really championing the round. How did you meet the founder? I, I so, always wanted to ask. Yeah, actually, it was one of those uh, kind of um, serendipity things. I was launching, think about it, like this was summer 2019, early summer 2019, and I was launching a Spanish fund in the UK with no brand and some money, but not like, it was not a huge fund. So I basically knew that as soon as um, one of the top seed funds met a founder, I couldn't compete either on brand and or like firepower money price. So I was obsessed with meeting them before, because I knew that if at least I met them before I could build a relationship, I could find a way in. So my way to do that was to work a lot with business angels. And I would do a lot of favors to them that <laughs> was not necessarily, didn't have a high ROI in the short term necessarily, as meeting Johnny, by the way, because this was an angel, <laughs> Andrew Bites, who have been very lucky to have next to me throughout my career, that asked me, can you please meet this guy? I like him. I would love you to DD him. Yeah. So you were pre-screening founders for business for angels, business, more yes, or less. because okay. actually my fund, paradoxically enough, my fund didn't do pre-launch. This was a different world in the market. <laughs> and so basically, Johnny was pre-launch and he was like, honestly, had like an alpha, like uh, with like, no joke, like 20 customers, like if, if, if 20. Solo founder. Uh, yeah, completely solo. solo founder, no team, no customers, no, like product. But like, bold vision. A good a, track record. Basically, basically, I went to meet. I was like, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll do it, and like, I'll give you my views. And I went to meet him one Friday in May. It was like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. I was like, great, last meeting of the weekends getting started. We ended up doing like three-hour meeting, and I. So basically, I was hooked. He has a very interesting personality. A very he's very good at something that. I think I encourage founders to be good at, which is also involve investors emotionally, right? You you need to make me want to help you as well. Like, I'm going to want to help you. But like, if you may involve me and like chase me and like call me and like, it's going to work. And so he has that. But also... Why it's think, a teamwork. I mean, investor founders relation, relationship. I think it has to be eye to eye. So it's like symbiosis. It's like extended team. Whoever so is the I love what you said yeah. that about eye to eye. And I think it plays yeah. a very important role in me going from VC to, to angel because... With an as an angel, you can really be eye to eye, and the relationship that you build with a founder is totally different, right? So think about it. Up until now, I had just been a lead investor, and suddenly, 
I have Johnny. I believe in him. I believe in his business, by the way. It was pre-pandemic. Yeah, so was we didn't say, know what was going on. So it was events, a crazy online idea. Online events yeah. and ticketing in summer 2019 wasn't exactly the hottest thing on earth. Like, no. It was like not very sexy. In fact, he had been rejected by most yeah. investors. You saw the future. You knew the pandemic no, was coming. All, not at all. Like, and this is actually like why one reason why I think angel investment is so founder driven is that you cannot forecast these things. We invest in years ahead. I can put as much IQ as I want into it. No way. I protect like what, what the future okay, right <laughs> yeah and no no what I saw what I saw was and, and like the, the, I saw two things I saw one that it was a product that was built by first principles for online events and when you are an investor you see a lot of people taking an offline situation and applying tech to turn it online but if an experience is meant to be offline online is going to be suboptimal be it events with whatever yeah. Johnny was really rethinking why do people go to events like what is that they the value that they get out of it and how do I apply tech to rethink the experience yes same output because if I want to network like I need to get that value out of it but in a complete different experience and and so the product was very very different to any other product around online events just because it was think as first principles for an online event. Yeah. And the second thing is we started a Facebook group and talking about customer love, which I'm definitely also obsessed about. Um, it was funny because I remember one Sunday evening, middle of the summer, and I was leaving for drinks and my Facebook notifications in the phone started going crazy. And it was Hopkins group. And I was like, wait, what's going on? And I got in the thing and there was this lady who had built a tutorial mm -hmm. for others to like get on to hop in. And the conversation was going crazy. An early power user. I was like, yeah. are you joking? Like, this How big like was the group? No, like 40 people. Like 40, then, okay, then, so very, like, then yeah. you got then you got friends very big. and family. But and, it was yeah. super interesting to realize that I mean, I wasn't gonna be speaking about online events on like a Sunday evening in the summer, but that it meant so much to people, right? And 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 then ultimately, what you realize when you actually spoke to these people is that if you think about even pre-pandemic, but interests were global; they were not lo local anymore. Mm -hmm. So we were already seeing a lot of global communities uh, bound by common interests that were like worldwide relevant and so suddenly like if you were a community manager if you were like I don't know somebody in Australia who liked to bake cakes and had like 50,000 followers on Instagram the written medium only takes you as far like Instagram Slack Facebook it only takes you as far yeah how do you, they didn't have any platform to engage and monetize and this was key monetize their community for and suddenly live stream, streaming gave a big why now for that and hopping built a product around it so if you suddenly could engage your 30,000 followers and run an event on hopping super simple yeah. and like and get paid for it it was a game changer so like Twitch but not for gamers exactly yeah. but it, completely completely and yeah. it gave them it, it was a complete game changer for them right and then obviously the pandemic came eight months after and made the town the whole wide world But like even before the, the thesis around the like enabling online communities to monetize and engage further was was very clear. Um, but basically, I became like I mean like yeah, <laughs> it, it got like very intense because basically I want I couldn't do the pre-seed because it was pre-launch with my fund and I wanted to do the seed. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna help you and I'm gonna invest as an angel. Yeah. And the way I helped him, now when I look back, I helped him with the tools that I had. Now I look back and I know those were the tools of a VC. 
right? So I basically introduce him to all my network of investors. I help him with a pitch deck. I have a video on my phone of him rehearsing for the sitcom pitch deck, a pitch day. And I build the actual spreadsheet of the cap table yeah. for him. I review his term sheet, call him a lawyer, like all the things that for me as a VC were absolute bread and butter, but that for a founder were not. Did you cook dinner for him? No. no. So Johnny, Johnny eats only, like, he's, I think he's public about it now, but he has a very interesting diet uh, requirement. So I did bring him jamón, though, but he only eats the most expensive jamón, which is okay. the jamón that has no additive. So Joselito is okay. the only jamón. That, yeah, yeah. So I did bring him jamón, so but, but, um, but basically, yeah, uh, we and we ate a lot of steak together. I'm just not good at cooking. I like to outsource that part. But, but basically, um, what's interesting, uh, what I realized from there and the very first time was that I could build a very unique relationship with a founder from that positioning, right? And I was still like not ready and by the way, didn't add up to plus two back then. So clearly to to like launch, mm-hmm. like become a full-time angel, but I love the experience. And so I started a microfund that was like a community of founders and operators um, that had an investment arm. And we would invest 50K dollar checks into preset companies in Europe. And so I led 20... Through Slack, probably. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, completely. It was a community like, uh, yeah. of founders and operators that had an investment arm. And and then basically invested, like, yeah, I led 20 investments. So that was the, the, the fund The fund VC. of VC. Yeah. It's a terrible name because it's so confusing. Because every time I say the fund, everybody's like, what fund? Yeah, so... <laughs> So if someone is based in the UK and would like to start angel investing, they could join that potentially or um, so this is actually it's an it's interesting. It's it, it works like a proper fund with an IC. Okay. So it's backed by like the LPs, our founders and operators, okay. and there's a Slack and people say, but there's also an IC. So okay, it's okay. not if somebody is interested investment in investment committee. In, so we're in, doing kind of an intro. Exactly. Yeah, sorry, exactly. Yeah, no investment committee. Yes, I get that a lot. Sorry. Um in <laughs> Uh, if anybody is interested in um, inve- doing angel investment and they're in the UK, um, feel free to contact me and I'm happy to to help. There's one group for women specifically, or also for men, but that invest in women called Alma Angels. Yeah, we had Deepali on so, our podcast. So Hi, Deepali. Hi, Deepali. They're amazing. So yeah. that's a great, great group. And there's a part of education in, in how to become an angel investment there as well, investor there. But basically, um, I did that. And at the same time, as you're saying, I was a partner at a Series A fund called Blossom. And so for a year, I saw the market from these two very different perspectives, right? I saw that Lead investor, like um, large ticket, very competitive space because Series A is getting very competitive. Yeah. At the same time, I was writing 50K dollar checks, being angel to founder and collaborating with all investors. Yeah. And actually, I was very lucky that because the market was how it was, um, a lot of companies got preempted very early. So the distance or the time from like pre-seed, seed to Series A was sometimes like two months, like super quick. Oh, wow. so, so I could see the two approaches on the same company, like life. And I realized this opportunity to become a VC turned angel. And that's when Cocoa was born. And basically the concept in a nutshell, the concept is that we invest angel checks. So 150K to 300K, depending on the size of the round. Point being no friction allocation for the founder, no friction allocation for other investors. We want to collaborate. We don't want to compete. We come in a small Small, purposely small, so that we can be neutral and independent. And to that position of being small, neutral, and independent, we bring on our VC network and our VC expertise because we've been VCs. And our aim is to become the in-house VC for founders, basically. We want to help them hack the system, level the playing field. And so did that. Um, we left our previous funds, Anthony, my partner and I, in September 
raised, so structured, regulated, raised the fund before Christmas Eve. Um, in a record period of time. Well, yeah, yeah, we also kept it very small and very simple to be able to, to do that, which so, I think was, yeah. was, was, was good and to minimize the time out of the market. But basically, Cocoa was born at 1717, so very small um, fund. Um, we That's are, okay. For, it's a good size for the angel fund. Yeah, so, so yeah. We, we wanted to raise 15, got 35 in demand. Uh, yeah, but it was a, it was a good, good market. Uh, but actually kept it at 17 because yeah. this, for us, the model works if you stay small. It, it And it's both like actually in the two dimensions that matter. One, value proposition for founders, we need to be small. Yeah. And second, also to make the model work, we need to be small because we're optimizing access over stake. And yep. you can only do that if you're small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, did that 17 million fans. We're 75% backed by founders. Uh, we have 20 founders of unicorns and decacorns and no VC. European ones, mostly. Uh, yes. So the yeah. decacorns and unicorns, yes, we we do have um, some founders and operators from US tech scales, but mostly it's European. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know you're very proud of your LP base. So we're, yeah. super pr- yeah. we're super lucky with yeah. our LP base. But also, and, and also decided, and this was painful because of where we come from, to have no VC funds invested. And we, full disclosure, have like individuals that are VC investors and they are investing personally because they're our people, they're our mentors, our friends, our community. And for us, it was very important to create community around Cocoa. But we decided not to have VC funds because if we want to be in front of a founder and tell them we can be neutral. You're not completely independent. Independent, we can give you unfiltered advice like or or, or insights. I don't like the word advice. Like... um, I, I cannot have a VC fund behind me, right? So um, did that, and last, I guess, why it's relevant and that also says a bit about us is why it's called Cocoa. <laughs> yeah, that, that was going to be my next question. I think it's we a love fascinating, chocolate. fascinating <laughs> story. Um, basically, Cocoa is the seed of chocolate. and if, We'd need to, wait a minute, we'd need to cut it to include like a co- crunchy a cocoa sound egg. of biting the <laughs> chocolate. We'll do that in the post-production. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited now. But see, this is one of the reasons it's so playful right we get to like it's a playful memorable name that makes people smile that is like chocolate brings joy brings people together and that's very much what we want to do but also um, we realized that cocoa is the seed of chocolate and from the moment that you, you have the cocoa beans to the actual chocolate bar there are many faces like they're in a startup and it's actually quite a manual like work craft a lot of craft going into it and we just felt it resembled it's very incredibly well. manual so I I think when, when we when we like had our call at the beginning of this year, I told you also I've I've been to Dominican Republic this year, and a friend of mine works for a Swiss chocolate company, so they export cocoa beans from Dominican Republic to Switzerland and to Europe, and then they make chocolate. And he showed us the process, so we went to there. It's not a real farm; it's actually a forest. Yes. family owns. So we went there and we see how it grows and then how he separates like pulpa, I don't uh-huh. know how you the call baba. it. Yeah, baba. The, ba- yeah. the baba, yeah, like the soft part of the fruit um, and how the whole process, how it smells. And it is really, it is super manual. Super and manual. My friend is a good German. Uh, <laughs> hi, Roman. I'm going to tag you also on LinkedIn. Like, so you have please, to listen please, to this podcast. I have to go, have have to to go meet. visit his farm. Yeah, so he, um, he of course, optimized everything with the German approach. He also went to Cardiff, like, <laughs> uh, the university we went to. So, yeah, but still, I said, okay, this is really manual. This is 21st century. Very interesting because yeah. we went through a rabbit hole, like, on... <laughs> 
cocoa and chocolate research, but uh, actually we have two founders who one worked at a cocoa farm okay. and the other, his uncle owns a cocoa farm. We That's not a criteria, by the way, to be backed by cocoa, <laughs> to have like a cocoa farm. But it's funny. And, and they told us actually, which is a, a very interesting story and, and relevant for angel investing, that... Cocoa pots, and if you haven't checked, like seen one, like go because you'll be surprised. By the way, it's a fruit and a flower at the same time. It's one of the very yeah. few. But cocoa pots like grow in trees, and they don't. There's no science that can be measured in terms of when they are ripe. Like it's they have people who just have this sixth sense or muscle built throughout the years yeah. to know when one is ready to open up and get the pulp. And they don't like mature in the same way across the tree. So it's really manual selection of which ones are ripe to now open and work on it, which is very similar to startups as yeah. well, right? And, and like, they also, they have to grow in this forest. Yeah. So you cannot just, I think you cannot do urban farming. No, um, of cocoa, yeah. Okay, with startups, you can accelerate and there are quite, there are some successful startups that came out of famous accelerators. But uh, there are also no raw diamonds, <laughs> yeah, that came out of no accelerator. Exactly. Yeah, like most hopping. unicorns, actually. <laughs> like yeah, for example. Yeah. And, and last detail about chocolate, just because I, think, <laughs> I love these analogies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but we like we went yeah. through a really rough, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. funny enough when and and so we humanized also fundraising a little bit. Um, we build the deck ourselves. We obviously don't have many resources. We bootstrapped cocoa um, for many months, and and I built the deck myself, and with my friend Julie who helped me a bit with it. And it's a very simple deck. And at the end, it explains why we're called Cocoa. And there are two slides around chocolate, one on the faces of making chocolate and one just explaining metaphors and, and comparison. Yeah. And obviously you send with Dachshund, right, the deck. So you can see how people... How much time they spend on, they each, spend slide. on each slide, yeah. right? Honestly, like chocolate slide, most successful slide. <laughs> we got a guy who's a founder of a unicorn who said, I don't invest in funds because I don't believe in the fee structure, yeah. but I absolutely love your deck. The chocolate slide is the most I'm investing. I was like, are you, are you serious? So that was fun. But uh, one of the things that was in that <laughs> metaphor there, which is I didn't know, and I'm a big fan of chocolate. I, I love chocolate. But is that chocolate is the only substance that, or the only edible substance that melts at body temperature. So that's why, actually, when you eat it, it melts. Any other food doesn't melt. Okay, yeah, that's true. It's only Maybe. chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the analogy to startups? Oh, that we're so warm. <laughs> oh, that you're like humanizing. I mean, I'm not going to melt into anybody's mouth. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to need a second coffee if it's low today. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that that is us. And I think you yeah. mentioned earlier, and just to wrap up on, on my background and, and my thesis, you mentioned earlier... Um, customer love. And yes, I like to say that I invest in businesses that have insane customer love. And my thesis here is that if you're, and this can happen B2B and B2C, as you said, and if your users, your customers love your products so much that they gather around, they build a community, they interact with, they they with each other. Exactly. Yeah. That is actually a super strong driver of organic growth and a very high barrier of entry. So what I like is that on something that's almost an emotional connection, with the product, with the experience, you can build a highly scalable and defensible business on top of. And you've mentioned Spain and you've mentioned Germany. Uh, obviously, by now, by my, well, um, like it, we said that I was from Spain, but also I cannot escape my accent and or my name. But what most people don't know is I was actually raised in Germany. Okay. So, yeah. So this concept of like... Um, 
the emotional connection, scalability, defensibility really fits well in the two very contradictory like personas in me. So yeah, yeah, I went to boarding school in I went to a German school in Spain and then I went to boarding school in Germany. Okay, where did you go? Landheim Schondorf am Ammersee. It's like by Bayern. Bavaria, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think yeah, it's it's super fascinating and. Uh, What and how would you say? So, if you 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 told us you invest in very very at very very early stage, so you meet a founder, maybe it's a solo founder, maybe he or she just have a pitch deck, that's it, or maybe just an no idea. pitch deck. <laughs> yeah, no pitch deck. Right, you have to build it. So, how do you measure customer love love in that early stages? Because pre seed is some is the pre product, pre product market fit. It can be a pre community as well. Yeah. So no, no, that's yeah. very that's like that is very difficult uh, to do in pre launch businesses. I think that. Is something that then I monitor later, but I do measure how they're thinking about it. So to me, it is very important to understand how founders are thinking about community and customer love and what concept they have of brand because it's brand is a very powerful but very large, uh, deep content yeah. uh, concept. And so I test that and their ability to actually build customer love rather than the customer love itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But generally, like when I meet a founder. And this is also like a journey I went through. I realized coming from very thematic funds and like having thesis around like, you know, the power of network effects and like mm. direct to consumer brands. So you have to squeeze it into this box. and yeah, Exactly. And then and, and that works, I guess, once you have, to your point, data, right? Like mm. and, and once you have some traction and you can like really measure certain things that match your thesis. But I realized that I when I was living this bipolar world of like seriously investment and angel investment, that when it came down to angel investment. Bridging. Yeah, yeah it, was like, it was like a bit confusing. But um, that I was actually just driven by the founders, like basically that, and, and I found myself investing in DevOps, like being super excited about VR, like things that I would have never gotten top down, thesis down, like it was pure bottom up. And and so basically, like I invest in founders, right? And it's founders that take me to learn about markets and then I, I would say I have no morals, so I basically invest into anything that's like a good founder. My line, where I draw the line, is in markets I cannot understand. So if I cannot understand, I won't invest because I cannot build conviction and yeah. I cannot assess the risks. It's impossible. And to me, it is very important to have conviction on the size of the opportunity and to understand the risks that I'm assuming, which are many because this is pretty investing. I just want to have identify them, right? And so to me, like... Invest in founders, markets, like they take me to more to learn more about markets and then markets need to be obviously big and growing and everything else that we know. But when I think about founder, what like, you know, makes me take about founders values because our also angel investment and angel investing and also VC investing is quite obsessive. Like it's it's very interesting because I always knew I had an obsessive personality. <laughs> But then I was listening to a podcast that my friend, good friend Harry Stebbings interviewed Chris Saka a few months ago. And if you haven't listened to it, it's, it's very, very good. And there, Chris That's Saka, why we're talking to his partner tomorrow, but not to on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Ah, it's for, it, for the fundraising of so, my startup. Yeah. So, you, okay, so you know, <laughs> Kieran, hi, yeah. so Kieran is like my partner in crime. We're yeah. like husband and wife that can never be together. Kind of thing. It, work-wise, always work-wise. We're, he's very <laughs> work close husband. to, my, to yeah. my future husband and everything. But because I, brought him to Hopin. Okay. I introduced him to Hopin and uh, we just become like best yeah. friends. So basically, um, Harry interviewed Chris Saka and Chris Saka says something in that, in that podcast that says that in order to be an investor, you need to be obsessive, right? And it's so interesting because I legitimize all my dysfunctional <laughs> behavior. Yeah. I was like, see, he said 
said, it's okay. I can that's, be okay. That's your life motto, right? How was uh, it? Uh, like, function in the, the function in disaster finishing style. I or? love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was actually my high school motto, but I copied it. No credit to me. But um, but basically, so it's not the official Cocoa claim. No, <laughs> no, no. Exactly. That's Carmen's credo. Like, that's yeah. Carmen's private yeah. life kind of a motto. But um, what's interesting is like what gets me like you know so interested in a founder that I'm going to go research a, a market that I have no clue about and I'm going to get so excited about it. Quantum I cannot computing. think about anything else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like, I mean, I have done DevOps, like, um, uh, like end-to-end backend platform yeah. um, for backend development. Like, I mean, are you joking? I've never yeah, done yeah. any backend so development. Happened? How did they so trigger that? Exa- exactly. Yeah. So I, I spent some time thinking about it for fundraising <laughs> because you get this question of like, what do you look for in founders? And yeah. I didn't want to say, oh, I look for a founder market fit and leadership. Like, um, And basically I realized that I look for founders who want, like people say founder market fit. Founder market fit is very important. Obviously, I expect founders to have an understanding of the market they're going after, ideally an edge of why they know better than anybody else. But more than that, I want them to be obsessed with solving the problem. Like, because it's so irrational to like launch a startup, to scale a startup, go through all the highs, but many lows. And then you get bored. Exactly. (laughs) And it happened to me. Like one thing is like, I actually got into VC because I thought it would make me a better founder. And I spent a year launching a a startup just to realize, one, I was an investor at heart. Two, I had chosen the wrong problem because I wasn't passionate. And then- What was it? As a direct-to-consumer um, lifestyle brand for pregnant women, so okay. we basically wanted to enable women to live maternity their own way. Okay. And I, but it was we started with fashion, and I'm not very passionate about fashion. And it's yeah. just like, and if you're not a mother yourself yet, maybe it's that. Yeah. So that was scary because my yeah. living room was full of clothes for pregnant women, and I didn't have a boyfriend back then. Yeah. So that, but more than that, it was like it was really hard because you also like underestimate right what it means to like have people come into your website, like performance marketing, the return. Like I manage the returns on Shopify, which is the most painful thing on earth. But more I than that, imagine, I yeah. queued to yeah. the like all these things that you yeah. and I suddenly I was like, yeah, but I'm not passionate about it, right? And yeah. so I look for founders who really have a reason of why they're solving this problem. And um because otherwise they're gonna give up. You know, the, the, that resilience comes from something irrational. Like so that's one. And the second one is I look for founders that have ambition that is borderline naive but that they can execute on. Because ambition that is borderline naive is tricky because what is the line between naive and delusional? It's like a yeah. very thin line. But to me, how I sort of get comfortable with it is, do they have the ability to execute on it? Do they have the capabilities, the skills? And and yeah, and then third, and this is, I'm, I'm very nerdy on this, <laughs> clarity of mind. Yeah. And to your point, what, ha, what happens? Like if a founder can explain to me a pain point that... In, a, in an industry that I'm not very technical about. And you understand like, it. Yeah. And I understand it. And I understand his solution. Like, that means he understands it so well. If he can explain it to me, which I, in that scenario, I'm a six-year-old. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, like, I look all the time for clarity of mind because I have this suspicion that people who don't, cannot fully explain things because they don't fully understand them, right? And I don't want to back... But they may be too stuck in their like nerdy, super niche. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, if it is like quantum computing, it's probably missing a lot of background to understand. But in a lot of things, like you should be able to to explain. And I look for that clarity of mind. But to be honest, I remember when I started to work for Spotify. So I was just an early employee, and we were explaining what music streaming was. So not everyone got it. Now everyone knows. Like fast forward eleven years. 
But uh, yeah, so like especially if you're if you're building or if you're working like in a, in a tech-driven startup, sometimes you need to be able to see the future. It's um, sometimes yeah. it's really a bit of a rocket science, also what people are building, and you need they have to be able to explain it to and, digest yeah. it. Yes, and I agree that sometimes totally agree that sometimes there is like context missing, and in fact, a lot of times like. I, I do work to also understand because I might be missing pieces. But you get the point of somebody who understands it so deeply that he can explain it easily. Like yeah. that is something. I mean, that's that, the basic to explain why are you building, like to explain but, your business. But like, yeah. there's this tendency to like very big buzzwords. Like, yeah. very. I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what does it do? <laughs> like, like who are you selling to? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> how, do you, how would you make money? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and so yeah. So that's like kind of the three things that I look for for in founders, and that make me go deep into yeah. into what they're building. And uh, how do you see the current startup? ecosystem in Europe because I mean it's a big topic so we so Sifted is writing a lot about it so there are like different topics the great founders so their early stage funding is at the same level as in the US that mm -hmm. was last year so we've seen it also in the Atomico state yes. of the exactly. yeah, European tech report so what's your personal and subjective perception? Are there, so is Europe the next Silicon Valley in terms of the unicorns and decacorns creation? Are the founders great or is some, something missing? Um, yeah, what is the picture you would paint? So um, very subjective yeah. view. Of course. Yeah. It's the first time in my life I feel I'm at the right place at the right time. <laughs> like, literally. When, and I, you can really feel, so I've, I've met you last year and you're super, so if there is like a, Uh, like love towards what you're doing. You're super energized. So <laughs> I could not imagine you're doing something else. You're no, just. I cannot uh, imagine doing anything. Yeah, I, I love. I like. I you're love. beyond happy, and it's uh, so. You're. It's like it's so. The, the room vibrates because you're. It's, this is like what you, what you were <laughs> meant to do. So it's it's so, a perfect. Yeah. So 100 on that, but a bit envious. So, well, like, not, well, no, not anymore. I, I found say, my game. But when I met you, I was like. Whoa, like this is super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I, I feel so lucky. I'm so privileged yeah. like that I can do this. It's the best to me. It's not even a job, but it's the best kind of lifestyle in the world because ultimately my day-to-day -day is about meeting exceptional people like you and the energy is just electrifying. It's not my energy. It's like I feed from the energy, right? Of the, but you feed the energy in as well. So it's, it's like the buzzing, And I think like, you know, but what, what I meant on that also was from a European perspective, right? I think that, and I don't know if anybody else had this feeling, but our generation, um, and we were discussing this earlier as well, but we were... We went to a school system that wasn't like a university system that didn't get us ready for the digital world we had to like work on, right? Like nobody gave us the actual skills and we... They I, didn't know. I, exactly, they didn't know. And I've been, I felt like my whole life I've been playing like catch up on, on that. I also something that is less well-known as well as I started my career in politics, actually. And so I then moved to London, but I was almost like three years behind everywhere. Like, it's almost like I was catching up. I did banking and banking, I actually had a lot of fun, but I felt it was an industry in decline. It was on the yeah. industry at the forefront. And suddenly, like, Europe is the place to be for tech, right? And um, if I, and I've thought a lot about this because where if I could have chosen where to start Cocoa, Like with no restrictions, if I could have chosen the US, Asia, like Europe, Africa, like 
I would have chosen Europe from a like rational perspective as well in terms Looking of opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. And that has never happened to me in my life. That being the right time in yeah. the right place in such a way. And I think that that obviously comes with a lot of dysfunctions and like a lot of adjustments mm. that need to be done. But Europe has never seen, and this is very much at the essence of Cocoa's thesis, like Europe has never seen more talent, more quality of talent and or more capital. So if you believe that is the case, which I believe like 100% because I've seen it, I feel it every day, and then you can safely assume that five, seven years from now, Europe will be producing many more unicorns than it is or large outcomes. I think we've just started, yeah. <laughs> then it, exactly, than it is producing today. Now, if you believe that is the case, those future large outcomes are being born today, right? And I and all my fellow investors see them, like meet these founders. And so seeing actually, and this is a very particular view of mine, seeing is not the war. Like most of like the investors who've been around for a while see the same kind of deals. It's very hard to now build a portfolio and proprietary deal flow. Now the war is not to see, the war is to win. And this was when we made this like kind of cocoa statement that was like, let's not fight that war to win. Let's just optimize for being in as many of these like future large outcomes as yeah. we can. And rather but than also ha- with the right people, I guess. I mean, exactly. it has yeah. to be the right vibe. And- exactly. And, true, and yeah. it's much more fun and like yeah. and we're coming from a position. But, but that's how I see Europe. I think that um, there are obviously things that come with that that are like, you know, lots of capital and dysfunction and, and that people question. But like itself, like it's the inflection point and like the perfect storm in a lot of things that, by the way, Absolutely have, agree. have been yeah. coming down for a long time, right? This is not because of like the last six months. This has been cooking for a long time. You have, for example, when we think about talent, you have lots of operators like you who join like the now huge public... So Skype and Isa, so ABN, uh, Spotify, um, like you, ABN, have, yeah, you like, have Stripe, um, exactly. you know, you have wow. like all these operators, like that saw it, saw it going. They started the flywheel. And now yeah. they're coming back and they're yeah. starting companies and yeah. or they're investing. Yeah. And so, and that is, it's the first round of flywheel that has happened in the US for a long time and in Europe is the first time. And that creates a virtuous cycle of talent and capital that is just like starting, right? So I think in that sense, like it's super, super, um, attractive and I wouldn't want to be investing anywhere else. Yeah. And what would you say, like, besides the geopolitical stability, what needs to be done or what has to happen to really make Europe the top-notch yeah. tech uh, <laughs> location on, on this planet in, in our solar system? So, to yeah. be honest, it's, it's interesting because it, it might also um, talk or speak about how I see things. I'm... I, Don't like competition with like third parties. It deflates me because I have a hard time seeing win-win. I but I compete with myself like a beast. You have high standards to yourself. But like yeah. and, and funny enough, when I think about that, I feel a little bit like that. Is the question whether Europe is gonna be bigger than the US or is the question whether Europe is gonna be bigger than Asia? It's a question that bothers me less. Um because also there's so many kind of cultural, geopolitical and fragmentation that, that play into that. The question is the growth, right? I think Europe is going to be the, the region with highest growth now and therefore the most interesting to be in. Whether we end up being as big as the US or not, yeah. I don't know. But what we need to do to definitely sustain that growth is a very interesting question. And I think that um, Europe has big issues in regulation. Like, I think we need more like decision makers at like a legal and like political level that understand 
like entrepreneurship better, that understand creation of value better, because yeah. I'm not sure they fully get it. Um, because it also translates into investors like you are talking to. So, for example, you can totally see the difference when you're speaking to Silicon Valley VCs yes. or angel funds, UK, and then comes Germany. I'm, I'm speaking yeah. from my experience from the so fundraising last they're, week. They're yeah. even going bottom up, there are many things. So, like, the concept of failure is completely different, right? In the US, you try, you fail, you learn, you do it again. In Europe, we have this sort of, I don't know if it's Catholic, Christian or whatever, that is like failure is like, you know, a curse kind of the thing. The business model has to be proven. What if I'm building something for the next 10 years? Yeah, and so, how could yeah. you prove, yeah, and yeah. how could you, like, there, there were models that could never, and this is, goes back to also you back people. Yes, going after markets that you can, but, but those markets, it's not even the question, are they big? It's will they be big enough? And, yeah. and I think the mindset... What would be the new market, maybe? Exactly, yeah. exactly. The, the mindset needs to, needs, to be, uh, needs to change, but also when you then go down on labor regulation, like the flexibility of yeah. labor regulation, you think about even this tiny thing of signing rounds like okay and in my in your lottery i'm me, think yeah and also for from the angel investor point of view like just individual angel investor the paperwork you have oh, to do it's unbelievable so it's, it's like compared to angel list in the u.s like oh my god so to, yeah. exactly so from an angel perspective yeah. and actually i think the uk is the best standard as you said like yeah. here i signed hobbins last round which is a multi-billion dollar valuation on docusign yeah. in the uk Perfect. in germany and or in spain by the way like yeah Honestly, you need like a power of attorney. You need in Spain, you need the NIA, which is like a number if you're a foreign investor. Yeah. You need to spend Have the whole that. day at yeah. the notary, the whole day at the notary. Like it's unbelievable. Like all these frictions. You need to translate probably as well. All, all yeah, these yeah. frictions need to disappear, right? So that is one. Um, another one, tax, for example. If you look at the UK, you have this SEIS, EIS incentive, right? And basically what that means, super simplifying, is that if you're a high net worth individual and you have some money that you need to pay HRMC because... Mm -hmm. Um, it's due. You can basically take that money and put it into startups and it makes up cool. for it. Yeah. So it, it's not exactly 100%, so bear with me, yeah. but, but the point is they de-risk startup investing because you can either give it to HRMC and never make anything out of it or put it into a startup. And by the way, if you hold the shares for three years, it's capital gain. It's exempt of capital yeah. gain. In Germany, we have something similar. It's called uh, BAFTA, I think. So it's uh, if, if you invest... 10k minimum, you can get 2k as a refund. So it's a 20% on so your tax here's refund. almost up to it's, 80. It's very bureaucratic. Yeah. No, it's 20% and you have to invest this minimum ticket or it's 20. So it's not so a very small investment. Here is like, um, it doesn't matter. Your investment can be a thousand. Like yeah. It doesn't matter. And it's 20, up to 80% that you get like in tax bonus and it has no bureaucracy. But the point, let's remove the friction to, let's de-risk startup investment so that incentives on high net worth individuals are there because the hardest phases are they like raise zero to a million, right? Like that, like sometimes you need angels to back on the pe people with no fund considerations. Yeah. And, then, and, and and let's make that seem more seamless. Let's make less, like um, more sim seamless, like signing round flow of capital. Let's make flow, like labor regulation more seamless. Like let's just make it easier. Also talent attraction maybe because I mean there is a war Completely. of talent and... Um, tax, tax for talent, like, yeah. like things like that. And it seems, and I understand that politically it's very difficult arguments, but when you think about it, the problem also is like in politicians and 
their incentives are four years, right? Because they need to get yeah. reelected. And that makes it very hard to no. go to like the whole population and be like, yeah. I'm going to give tax breaks to people who are already super rich because they were successful in their startups. Um, but when you think about the value that that creates in the long term, the problem is that value is hard to sell when your term is four years. But that is a game changer, right? And I think, so I think Europe needs to um, be a bit more, Agile or commercial, let's put it like commercial yeah. in that. And um, also maybe more like people-centric also, so uh, customer-centric. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. When you think about our heritage, like yeah. there's so many sectors where we should be the absolute champion, right? Like, or, and that was actually, by the way, Felix's thesis initially, like there's fashion, there's food. like Culture. Yeah. Exactly, it's our heritage, but now climate tech, like, um, like there's, it's this her- construction, I mean, like yeah. there's all these sectors that we've we've been at the forefront of that we should also be at the forefront in tech. And we just need to make sure that the bases um, are there because the talent is there and the capital is there uh, as well, wanting to come to, to Europe. So. so we need to set the framework. Exactly. And um, yeah, perfect. So, so interesting. And maybe just to wrap it up, So the last question we always ask all our podcast guests. So if you could change one thing in this world, like maybe not necessarily the tax regulations for the startups, so we're just talking about that, but maybe something you yeah, you would like to see more or something you would like to change, what would it be? It's a very yeah. tough question. It's a bit like a philosophical I don't know, I one. one thing. Yeah. Um, I guess it would be more empathy. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And is that, so my partner and I at Cocoa, we do coaching and I recommend this to anybody who has a professional or personal relationship because, and this is my learning coaching or in therapy is not to fix anything, is to give us tools. And this is where my realization has come in, is that we are not taught to understand ourselves to understand others and not given the tools to manage those relationships, right? And it's so mind-blowing to me that we are 16 years at school, four years at university, and we walk out, yes, knowing math, knowing history, but we don't know how to nurture and manage the most precious and fragile thing that we have, which is like, Human relations and ourselves, by the way, as humans. This is where everything starts. Also the greatest startup, I but guess. How could it, but how can not, like, it's the thing that this, we're complete, like, we have no clue what we're doing. We're managing with people and ourselves also. And if you think about it, one is a question of, like, having healthier people um, and healthier relationships, but also from a more, like, business mindset. You could supercharge the world if you give us the tools to understand what really motivates us, what really motivates others, and the tools to manage that. Like we could create a race of superhumans and actually happier, healthier, mentally um, <laughs> people uh, if we did that. So I guess more empathy and with that more EQ. Let's ass- let's just accept the power of EQ. It is super powerful. And, and embrace and, it. And embrace it and celebrate it. And gi- like teach us in EQ, give us the tools. Um, and yeah, I think that that I would change. I think this is an amazing finish. So yeah, let's end on this note. So yeah, cheers to more <laughs> emotional <laughs> intelligence and let, let's embrace the humanity. Exactly. 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 <laughs>